uh, as we continue on in the sermon series, Unbroken, uh, we go on today with God is on a mission. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of Jonah. And so in the book of Jonah, for many people, this will be very familiar. Maybe for some of you, it may be the first time. But as you have your Bible, I want to encourage you as we go through it uh, that we know that God is on a mission. From the beginning all the way through, he has always been on a mission and that his mission is about reaching and redeeming people and he is using the broken people to reach out to those that need to be redeemed. Do you know what I'm saying? God's not using perfect people that have their lives together. That doesn't exist. People that think about, well, he'll send this prophet or he'll send this thing. Have you ever read through the Bible? Have you ever read the prophets that are in there? Some of them are really jacked up, right? You go back and you look and you say, oh, if I could only hear from God, then I would, I would oh, it would change everything and I would do everything. Have you read the Bible? Moses is face-to-face and has a frustrating moment with him. The people of Israel are led by a pillar of fire and a, or a cloud of fire and a pillar by, you know what I'm saying. Cloud in the day, pillar of fire by night, and you know what they do? The first chance that Moses walks off after in, in, in this incredible God, they make a golden calf. See, hearing from God and being in his presence does not equate, I will have no more problems. Because the problem is us not submitting to God and needing a savior that changes us from the inside out. No experience will do that other than the very presence of God himself that will change us. But here as we go and we talk about Jonah, God is on a mission. And so in the very beginning of this, we find out that God sends a messenger. God sends a messenger. The gospel is not something that is sent out academically and it changes people. I think for the longest time, the problem with the church, and I don't mean Valley Creek, I mean universal overall, is that we have gotten into theologic, meaning we agree with things, but we stay within an ivory tower. It's a struggle. But Jesus, in what he believed, put him out in the midst of sinners. The very people that he could preach that were in sin and rebellion against him, he sat in the midst of and loved and allowed them to be convicted so that they would make a decision to turn. God sends a messenger. This is who God is, and the people that he sends are imperfect. People that struggle, people that have issues. That would cover all of us in this room. People that would look at it and say, they're disqualified. And yet the only thing that disqualifies us is when we stand in rebellion to God and not willing to say, Lord, I have been rebellious and I turn back to you to use and redeem me as you see fit. But here we see Jonah and in Jonah 1, 1 through 3, it says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. 
the son of Amittai, saying, go, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up, up before me. But Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go down with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, I read through that quickly, but think about this. God comes and does the thing that everybody's saying, I wish I could have. Jonah, I don't think that's how God sounds, but you know what, that's how they always do it. Big, deep voice, and they do it that way. Jonah, the sin has come up with me, this people, and I want you to go and preach to them. And Jonah was like, yes, God talked to me. I'm so excited, I'll go and do it. What did he do? He ran. It's always interesting as I read through this and other pastors and theologians and Bible study teachers have come out with this, but I always find it interesting that you talk about when it happens to Jonah that he goes away and he goes down and he goes away and from. Everything about Jonah in chapter one is away, down, from, getting away. He is going away from God. Why would that happen? If I heard from God, I would do exactly what he wanted. No. We wouldn't. And the reason why is because our hearts, if they are not submitted to God, even if we see God face to face, we would defy him to his face. Why is Jonah so bent against going to these people? Well, if we go back and we look at it, the very people that God is sending him to are They've been a, a horrible nation. The Assyrians have been a horrible nation all the way around. <coughs> they have been cruel to those that they were oppressive to. And they especially have done vindictive and cruel things to the Israelites. And so as God comes to him, and we find out about this in chapter four, but as we find out about this, we find out that Jonah is this. Those people have been against us. Those people have caused irreparable harm, damages. They have caused hurt, atrocities to our people, my people. And they deserve to be punished, not given grace. Think about what they've done. Maybe Jonah knew people. I mean, the Bible doesn't say, so we always have to be careful to bring this conjecture because the Bible doesn't say, but the question is this, did Jonah know people, families, tribesmen that had been executed, their families had been slaughtered, atrocities had happened to people that he had known, people that he knew and thus somehow now God is saying, go to those people so that they might repent. Do you know what the most dangerous, one of the most dangerous things is in keeping relationships from ever mending? If you want to look at 
families and why they can't mend, workplaces and why they can't mend, politics and why they can't mend, churches and why they can't mend. One of the most devastating things that can come upon a people is contempt. When you have contempt, contempt is this. You look at somebody and you say they are worthless. They cannot change. They are vile, not their principles, because principles are vile, right? There are things out there that no matter how or what you do, they are always vile, always. In truth, that which is good is good. That which is vile is vile, and you can't make something vile ever good. But contempt is about, can be about people and never about principles, And so thus, when we start to look at contempt, then all of a sudden we say this, that person will always be that way, they are worthless, and thus it is pointless to ever reconcile with them. Have you ever noticed that people can change? Have you ever noticed that groups can change? Have you ever noticed that anything that is made up with people, organizations, no matter what it is, has the ability and possibility to change? But the day that we don't believe that is the day that we write off people and we become like Jonah and we run the opposite direction, smug and justified because I know I'm right. And they can never be. This is what happens to Jonah. He has contempt, contempt for the Assyrians, and thus he runs. But if you know the story, you know that it's funny that here Jonah is, gets on the ship, they're sailing, and God's like going, (laughs) okay. So he brings a storm up. And he brings the storm up and it starts to go and they start pitching everything off. They're like going, oh my goodness, this is the worst storm we've ever seen. And Jonah, I mean, I guess we're depressed, so it's time to sleep, right? Or I guess we're angry or I guess life doesn't matter, so I'm just gonna sleep. Not that we ever do that, right? Anybody ever sleep when you're just overwhelmed or frustrated? Anybody do that? Or binge Netflix the seventh time on the seven seasons on whatever you're watching just so you don't have to think about anything. Or you get busy doing something and you do it. And so you're being productive, but the very thing you're supposed to be facing, you're avoiding, and so really you're not productive. (laughs) We won't get into that. And finally, when they come and confront Jonah, Jonah says these weird things. In verse nine, he says, he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord of God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Really? You fear the Lord. What do you mean you fear the Lord? I fear the Lord. Really? If you feared the Lord, then you would be obedient, right? 
Jonah has an intellectual assent. He agrees with the theology, but what is his action doing? Church, it's the scariest thing in the world for us. We talk about all these theological things, and theology is important. Oh, my goodness, it is important, but it is not. It totally makes no sense if it's not in relationship to God. All day long, you can have the belief in, I believe in eternal security, and I believe in eternal security. Church, I'm going to tell you right now, you can believe in that all day long, but if that doesn't motivate your life because of how much God loves you in spite of your sinfulness and doesn't make you more thankful, more grateful, more passionate about following God and being obedient to him because you're not condemned to hell and he has kept you in his hand and nothing can remove you, but you're just like going, no, nope, I believe I'm eternally secure. And you, you have missed the point of gratefulness and thankfulness of what God has done in your life. You have separated it. That's what Jonah has done here. He has separated. I fear God. No, you don't. You do, but you don't. If you feared God, you would care what's going on, and thus you would be obedient. These polytheistic or whoever they are sailors who don't believe in Yahweh, all of a sudden, when they find out there's nothing else to do, and Jonah says, throw me over, just throw me over, we can't do that. We can't do that. Throw me over. Have mercy on us. Chuck. And then all of a sudden, these people that don't worship God start to worship. Those that don't have any intellectual assent towards God all of a sudden recognize something powerful here and they begin. We don't know the future of them. We don't know if it was just for a moment, but we know that they turned and recognized the true God. So what happens to Jonah after he is thrown over? Well, we know that the fish comes and has him there for three days. Not only does God send a messenger, but God also refines a messenger See, when God calls us to do something, he calls us, but people have said this before, those that God calls, he also equips. Thank you, Brad. See, you and I are not equipped to go out in the very beginning unless God has done it. And even if you have been equipped from what he's done in your life, you're still not refined what he wants to do with you. Why? Because you and I, we still struggle with this flesh. True? I am a new creation. The way I read the Bible and understand it, I am a new creation. But this flesh still desires and craves rebellion. Still craves rebellion. The flesh still wants to do what the flesh wants to do. But the beauty of it is this, but Christ now lives inside of me if I've given my life to Christ. I am a new creation, and thus constantly, daily, moment by moment, I am learning to die to self, being raised in Christ and saying, Lord, do with me what you will. Teach me self-control and peace and joy, not by my doing, but by submitting to you and you doing a work within my life. 
You refine me to become more and more dependent upon you. That when I do the things that you want me to do, it's no glory for me, it's all glory for you. That's the reason why if you've been given a gift by God, and you have, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, every single person in here has been given a spiritual gift to use, and you're not using it. You are telling God that he's not powerful enough, that you're stronger than him, your faults, your failures, whatever it is, is more powerful than God to be at work, or two, you're being lazy and arrogant. I'm just calling what it is. God's called us to not have an intellectual ascent of the Bible, but to be a people transformed by this relationship with God that engages the world that needs a Savior. And if you get up and you go, well, but I just want to be humble. Humble is about you being used by God and doing it. Arrogance is sitting there in your seat and holding it for your sake. You don't see it that way, but it is. I always have individuals in my life that like to make sure that I'm humble. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, you know, those people that are, they, they, they have to make sure that you don't get too cocky, right? That they've been appointed by God to do that. And I, say what? Yeah, <laughs> there's a little sarcasm there, you know? But it is interesting that I know that people that love and care for me, but every now and then they take the role to just to make sure that they are helping you be who you're called to be. But I get tickled because somebody will end up saying, I'll preach. You know, God's allowed me to preach for 20 plus years. And if you ever see something begin to change and transform people's life, conviction that begins to happen, or somebody gets a revelation or something comes on, and then all of a sudden somebody's like in there, now I want you to know that was God, not you. Let me share with you, I know that because I know what a messed up wretch I am. I know my tendencies. I know my sinfulness, and I know this who God has called me to be just as God has called you to do is not for my namesake, it's for his namesake. And thus, when we are able to do what God's called us to do, some people will say, eh, that pastor, he's not that good. Guys on TV are much better. They're amazing with what they can do. I agree with that. I just know this. God's given me whatever he's given me to use for his glory, just as he's given you, not to be compared to anybody else, but when he looks at you, he says, did you take it or did you bury it? Did you take it and use it for my glory? I got saved at the most boring revival I'd ever been at in my entire life as a teenager. Boring, horribly boring. The most boring pastor I'd ever listened to in my entire life but it wasn't the pastor that saved me. It was the message of the gospel. But if he hadn't have preached the gospel, God could have still saved me, but God used this man to be faithful, to step up 
that everybody in the world may have thought he was boring, but my life was changed because of it. Church, Jonah had been called as a prophet to do what God had called him to do, but he was bitter about those people. He had contempt and he felt justified to stand on those principles and yet hate someone, a whole group of people. And so instead of wrestling with his and going forward with what God called, he ran away from God. So God was like, <laughs> I love you. I'm gonna show you something. So in the midst of the belly of that fish, here we have this, Jonah 2.2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. 2.7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Here, finally, Jonah, for whatever reason, has run for all the mind that he thinks he's right. And he's really messed up because when you run from God out of defiance, it's bad enough to run from God out of ignorance. Defiance is even worse because we know better. And yet, as Jonah is in there and comes to his senses, he cries out and he realizes this, God, who could have looked at him and said, nope, I'm done. You're not being in there for three days. You're fish food. Like, you're done. I will let it eat you. I already got other people on the boat to worship. I used you in spite of yourself. I'll raise somebody else up. I don't need you, Jonah. But did you catch the grace of our God? Even Jonah knows it as he cries out to God that God is listening to him. Church, in the midst of our rebellion, God, if we'll just turn to him, he is, because he is a compassionate God. He is a faithful God. He is a God that for some reason gives us time after time after time and is patient. But we are not called to abuse that patience. We are called to be humbled by that grace and turn to him and say, God, I see the errors of my ways. I need you. I don't even know how to change. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know what to do. But God, I cry to you as the God who is over all and thus take my life. Take my life. Jonah becomes and is reminded, he's refined to be prepared. Finally, all of a sudden, God commands it. We get into chapter three. What's the fish do? Spits him out. I won't make any noises that way, but you know you get the point, right? So he's kicked out there. Don't know how he's smelling. Don't know how he's feeling. Don't know what's going on, but I know this. He's ready to do what God wants him to do. I don't know if he gets a bath. I don't know if he eats. I don't know, but you know what he does? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against in the message I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. He goes. He goes. 
And catch this something beautiful. God empowers a messenger. God empowers a messenger. In Jonah 3, 4, it says, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And then this, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth, from the grace of them to the least of them. Jonah begins to go into this pagan enemy who has slaughtered everyone around them, especially the Israelites. And as he is going through there, they start to repent. Well, that can't happen. I mean, nobody does. The power of the gospel then and now is the same it still has the ability to transform people's lives. It still has the ability to get a hold of the hardest hearted, vilest, nastiest people and for them to be convicted by the Holy Spirit and say, I see the errors of my ways. Maybe it has been a decade. Maybe it has been two decades. Maybe it has been 25 years. But God changes people's lives. They were so, the king who's, if we understand it, of what we understand of the culture, was polytheistic, is more afraid of Yahweh and not crying out to any other gods, and he's so convicted, he says, nobody eat, not even the farm animals, not even the cattle, put them all in sackcloth. Could you imagine walking into a city and you see a cow walking around in sackcloth? That's a little weird on the day. You see sheep with ash on their face. I don't know if they went that far, but you get what I'm saying? I mean, he took it serious. And the whole city, the whole city repents. Now, are there individual holdouts? There may have been. Maybe there were groups of people and pockets of people, but here's what the Bible is telling us. The majority of people, as they heard the message, they were convicted. Do you believe that the gospel has power or do you say they've already heard it? It can't do anything different. I've already shared it with them. Didn't do anything different. How many times does it take to hear the gospel in order to change somebody? It can only take one. Do you know what they say now? And maybe these things have changed. Do you know what they say how it takes the average person who's never been introduced, how some studies I'm reading, seven is where it talks about, some studies I've read talks about some people 15 times. It isn't once. That's not going to a revival once. It is sometimes the gospel being heard as many times to all of a sudden go, oh, how many times have you shared with family members, coworkers? How many times have you shared with a neighbor? How many times have you lived out in a moment of being sent, acts of kindness? By the way, people watch us. Remember when I talked about intellectual assent and agreement theologically, and I go to church? You do that, but you look like a heathen at work. The gospel's still powerful but you have shot the witness. You talk about care about loving people, how you treat people, 
The gospel's still powerful. It changes people. But God reminds us, he's invited us to be a part of being empowered by him to proclaim this good news. Think about this in Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Not everybody will receive Christ. We know that. But you and I don't know who's going to receive Christ. And if we ever start to become the judge on who we think is going to be redeemed and transformed, we have missed our role as the son or daughter or servant of God that is called to step in to the vilest of people. Who did Jesus hang out with? I mean, church, think about it. He hang out with the immoral. He also hang out with the political parties. Oh, you can't be doing that. He hung out with those who disagreed with what he thought and was compassionate. The only time that Jesus began to have an issue It was when they began to reject him and their hard-heartedness. Now, you know why he gets to do that? Because he's God and he knows the thoughts and the hearts of man. Do you know what I don't know? What? The thoughts and hearts of man. Jesus is able to look at that and he can give a tongue lashing to the Pharisees and Sadducees at points in times. You and I fight for principles but remember, every person can be redeemed. Never back down from truth. Never back down from principles. But people and principles are two different things. Principles, good or bad, never change. But people can change principles. People can change allegiances. People can be transformed because that's what God does with people. The Assyrians were transformed in a moment to recognize their sinfulness against a holy God and they changed their direction, their thought pattern. It did not last. We know it doesn't last forever, but is there the possibility that there were some of those that became God-fears and chose to follow God that changed an entire family lineage? Are those in there, even as we see later on, they would rise up and someone calls atrocities again. Is there the possibility that there were people in that moment that changed for eternity? God reminds a messenger is the fourth point. You would think that Jonah would be thrilled. He would be thrilled to see this mass revival, but he went up on the hill and he sat down and he waited. And what was he waiting for? Anybody know? Sean, don't ask questions. 
get it, understand. There's a good chance that he's hoping. The Bible doesn't necessarily say, but he's hoping God may still rain down Sodom and Gomorrah on them, right? He's hoping that maybe, just maybe, they'll get theirs. But he's mad because they've repented. They're not going to face justice. They are not going to. They've killed and done horrible things. And they're not going to face justice. And so he goes up on the hill. And it says, chapter 4, verse 1, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I knew this was going to happen. You are a merciful, loving God, and I knew this would happen. Knew what would happen? That they were going to get grace. They were going to receive mercy, and they seemed to get away with all of it. Don't you care about what happened to your people? Don't you care about what has happened here? But yet we forget quickly about God's mercy for ourselves, do we not? We're so quick to point out somebody's immorality. And watch this. We'll talk about that as we close up. But we're so quick to point out somebody's immorality that the daily struggles that we have in being disobedient to God, we go to him and say, God, yet again, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Am I right or wrong? Anybody in here pray to God daily for struggles that you're going through, for, for sin that you're struggling with? Anybody in here? Right? Right? But what are we quick to do to other people at times? Get them! I know that you're a merciful God, and yet I have no mercy. I know that you're slow to anger, and yet I am enraged. Do you catch the disconnect? We're created in the image of Christ. When Christ saved us and transformed us, it wasn't to become more like us. It was to die to self and become more like him. We will never be perfect, but we should be being transformed more into the likeness of Christ. People that can be like the disciples or Jesus, ultimately Jesus, that calls out sin, but calls sinners home. Because that's what he did for me. That's what he does for me. So God causes a plant to grow up because it's hot. Jonah's out there waiting, you know, because he's got nothing better to do, right? I mean, 
other than to watch the destruction of the city or fume over it that it's not doing what he wants. I mean, it's not like he could be praying or going home or doing something else, but no, he's gonna sit there and fume. It's the best thing you can do. Sarcasm. So God in his great graciousness didn't have to do it. He gets a wonderful leaf umbrella. Grows up overnight. And what's Jonah think? Oh, this is so good, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, this is so good. I could be in the heat, but now I'm in the cool being able to fume. Thank you so much, Lord. And God sends the worm, eats the leaf. What happens? And then what's Jonah do? You ever want to see what you really believe about God? Have the pressure applied to you and see what comes out. It's easy to worship God when the music's going well and life's going well and ministry's going well and everything's going well. What happens when all that's taken away and pressure is applied? What comes out? Church, I'm embarrassed to say there are moments when the pressure is applied, that I become very despondent, very broken, very angry, very bitter. The moment when the pressure is applied, and I'm not saying, I know God's got it. I'm either crushed with what feels like either a depression or I am railing and angry at everything that is wrong. And yet it is in those moments when it is revealed that the pressure is on, that all of a sudden it reminds me, God, I need you more than I ever have. You've got to change this heart. You have changed it, you are changing it, and you are going to change it more. Help me to be at peace and trust you that all things you're at work and that when I talk about you, I love like you, I look like you, I experience joy, peace, hope, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Those are not things I strive for. Those are things that I abide in God and they come out because I abide with the one who loves me. God reminds a messenger. Jonah's so angry he could die. But God reminds him there were a lot of people there you would have wished for their death and destruction just so you could stand on your moral principle. But you're not catching the fact that I love them. I care about them. And even God says something very interesting. He even says this, there are many people there and cattle, which is weird. But here's what I have realized about God. Even in the midst of God setting up sacrifice, and even animals to point us to Christ, God has never been cruel to his creation. He has been just in everything that he's done, compassion and caring. God doesn't put animals above people. 
But God also doesn't just look at them and say they don't count. All of his creation is important to him. I don't know what heaven's going to be like. I personally don't think my pet dog's going to be there from eight years old that's going to be there. But I know this, that God still cares about his creation and values it and does not do things needlessly or purposely. That is the compassion of our God. And ultimately, human beings, we face eternal, we face eternalness. That's not a word, but I'm gonna use it. Forever, no matter what, you will live forever. You will live forever. Your family members will live forever. Your coworkers will live forever. There are people in organizations, whether you're for or against, that will live forever. And some of them will live in the presence of God, worshiping for all of eternity, facing him face to face, worshiping forever with eternal life. And there are some that will be in darkness and in torment and in the worst pain they have ever felt for eternity, and it will never end, ever. Church, even though Jonah was not a perfect prophet, but the message changed people's lives. There was refinement with Jonah. But let's think about this. Every prophet has always been flawed, but Jesus fulfilled a role like a prophet, but he was more than a prophet. Jesus fulfilled the role like a prophet, but he was more than a prophet. Think about this. From the very beginning as he comes in, when he does his ministry, he says, Jesus began preaching saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus' message and ministry was technically to only go to the Jews. And yet, what happened? Even as his compassion, there were Gentiles that heard truth that came to know him in salvation. You have every single type of person when you read through the New Testament and you read through the Bible, every single person that you can imagine is able to find redemption from the message of the gospel and hope. Jesus came to seek that which was lost, that which was vile, that which was nasty and to bring about redemption, to take those that are broken. I'm so thankful that Peter blows it before Jesus' ascension, and I'm glad that Peter blows it after Jesus' ascension. You know why? What do I mean by Peter blowing it? Because remember Paul rebuked him because he was acting like a Gentile, but then when the Jews came around, he acted like a Jew, and Paul rebuked him. Every single person, because cheer, cheer, we, I need to be reminded, redeemed, transformed, even now as a follower of Christ, I need to recognize my deep dependency that I need God to change me because I'm a broken person. How many Christians, I know this would be a horrible question, how many Christians in here right now, at times you just face 
overwhelming moments where you just, you feel overwhelmed and depressed. How many of you struggle with moments of rage, anger? Lust, jealousy, envy. Church, the beautiful thing is that Jesus didn't save us and then left us to figure it out on our own. He transformed us and saved us and lives within us that as we walk with him, he is making us into more and more like him. I will never be not dependent upon the Lord who loves me. And he is redeeming me. And as he has done that because he loves me, he is also calling me into be a messenger for him. This last part as we leave. Jonah, it leaves on this interesting note. It leaves, it leaves on this. Jonah has not, we don't know what he ever does or how he ever reconciles things, but we know that God's heart is he is compassionate. But I want to remind us, Matthew 7, 2 says, for with the judgment you pronounced, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be measured to you. God is going to get his message across. Are there people that you show contempt to even now that you need to ask God, Lord, do a work within me because I know right now, regardless of what I disagree with, you look at that individual as valuable. God, help me to see their value. Our political spectrum is divided because there is contempt within it. It is contempt. You listen to both sides. There is contempt. Why are our churches right now going through it? Because we all have a theological view of how things should be. But how we treat one another and what goes on. If it's not contempt, that's fine. If you think that it's not contempt, I'll just say this. Be careful not to make excuses and to cover over things just because it doesn't sound nice. Truth is when we face Jesus face to face and he calls us and calls out our sin so that we can repent and turn to him. If you don't want to have the hammer come down on you by somebody. Don't be dropping the hammer on people in judgment. I wanna be judged by God so that I can find redemption, not judged to be cursed that there is no hope. This is what we're called to be about. God loves us. He's refining us, but he's also calling us to be a people, imperfect, broken, that goes out to a broken world they may know the hope and be transformed regardless of where they've been. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for Jonah. Father, we ask right now that you would search deep within our hearts and our minds. Father, we pray today that if there's something in here that you need to do within us, Lord, that we would not be looking at others to fix them, but Lord, that you would fix us. Lord, we pray right now for our country that is so divided.
And Lord, we know that there are ideologies that cannot work together ever. Lord, we know that. But Lord, we know that you can change people and change views and change hearts. Father, we pray for the church. Of all the things right now that we know the world needs, it is you. God, forgive us that we do not love the way that you call us to. Forgive us when we have shown contempt for brothers and sisters because of what they think or what they believe instead of recognizing, Lord, that you can change views. Father, whatever you need to do with us so that we can proclaim your message and not our message, Lord, do it within our lives because you've loved us. Thank you for loving us. May we turn to you in complete submission and say, Lord, take me as I am to create me to who you've called me to be. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.